Well, listen, good morning, and uh, whether you're here in the auditorium or you're watching us over in the venue service or you're watching us uh, online at another location, we are so glad to have you here. My name is Renee. I'm one of the pastors. And what I want to do is I want to start with a game that we call Finish This. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to shout out or sing out the rest of the phrase. And I mean whether you're here in the auditorium or you're watching in venue or anywhere else, if you're sitting in front of your computer, just shout it out because uh, we need this is a, a genuine quiz here, all right? Pop culture knowledge. Here we go. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. That's good. That's very, very good. All right. Here's another one for the sports fans. He could go. Very good. All right. Now, let's move into the music world, right? Old rock and rollers. How many old rock and rollers do we have here? All right. Here we go. I can't get no. How about that's the way? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow. Even in the 9 a.m. service. Good. All right. Now into the advertising world. Ready? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Help, I've fallen and melts in your mouth like a good neighbor. You guys are incredible. All right, how about these? Moving into a slightly different wet realm. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Sanctify them by the truth. Okay, this is a pretty good illustration here. This is why we need the series we are starting next weekend, 40 Days in the Word, all right? You see what I'm talking about here? Here's some stats about the Bible. This is fascinating. Did you know the Bible is the most published book in the world, uh, conservatively, 500 million Bibles are published every year into 518 languages. Nothing else even comes close, yet fewer and fewer people are actually reading it. In fact, by age 65, the average American will watch nine and a half years of television. Consequently, we are way more influenced by pop culture, as you just heard, than the Bible, and so we're launching this new series to try to change that. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of a preview right now. Grab this little card out of your bulletins, and this has some details on the reverse side. Look at the bottom there. There are actually five components to this series. Do you see those bullet points at the bottom of the card? There are weekly messages covering things like, how do I read the Bible for myself and have it actually make sense, right? And, and what's the big picture of the Bible? And how do I really grow to love the Bible? Weekly messages, and those are detailed there on the back of the card, too. We're also going to have a weekly memory verse that we all memorize together about the Bible. Next weekend, we're actually going to have a very beautiful bookmark that we designed here in-house that all of you get for free, and it's going to have all the memory verses right on that bookmark. And then small groups... Rick Warren from Saddleback Church has done a great job on video sessions. I actually brought a whole suitcase full of small group DVDs to a camp I was speaking at up in Oregon this summer and spent the whole week just looking at all of these small group DVDs to try to find the very best one for our purposes. And we settled on this. Rick Warren's six uh, video sessions are all about how to really have a good, rich, personal 
devotional time in the Bible. They're very good, and, and the small groups are going to study these. we got groups all over the county and beyond, so sign up today, and you could win the Santa Cruz experience, as you heard earlier. And then next, this is a first for us, video daily devotions. Here's what this is all about. We have some of the best teachers in the country, like Rick Warren and Chris Brown and Nick Wojcik and Ray Johnston and Francis Chan and many, many others. And what they've done is each one of them has put together a different five to 10 minute video daily devotion that they're going to lead you through. And you can sign up to get these texted or emailed to you every day at 40daysintheword.com. Now, they're free. You have to set up an account with a password and a login, but they're absolutely free. I've already signed up for mine. You can just choose your start date to get these 40 daily devotions. And I actually get them texted to me at 7 a.m. every morning, and then I watch them while I eat my oatmeal just for five to 10 minutes. It's a great way to get your day started. Fifth, service projects. We want to be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? And so you can get ideas at servethebay.org. Serve the Bay is coming up. And also there's an insert about Serve the Bay Day right there in your bulletins today. So we've got all the components. All we need is you. <laughs> and to get you motivated to join up for this, um, you know, this weekend is the one-year anniversary of the passing away of a great ministry partner and friend of mine and a beloved friend of Twin Lakes Church, Bishop Sherwood Carthen. He passed away exactly one year ago this weekend, suddenly, of a heart attack. How many of you remember Sherwood when he spoke? He's spoken at our family camps, man camps, here in big church as well. What a powerful speaker. Well, I want to show you something. The last service that Sherwood ever spoke at in his life was at his home church, Bayside, in South Sacramento. And he had no idea that this would be the last sermon he ever preached. And you know what his topic was? He spoke about the importance of knowing the Bible and getting the Bible into your life. And here's how he wrapped up that sermon. Watch the screen. The Word has to be in you, and we've got to get an army of believers, a body of people who have memorized Scripture, who have meditated on Scripture till it becomes part of who they are. So that when you go through situations, you won't be looking for a word, you'll have a word. I can't get a witness in here. See, 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 if we had been in the Word, we'd realize that Isaiah 26 and 3 says, I'll keep you in perfect peace, they whose mind is stayed on me. We know that Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We know that Psalms 34 and 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. We know that Psalms 30 and 5 says, his anger isn't but for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy is coming in the morning. If we were in the Word, we'd know that. All right, are you guys motivated? Are you pumped about this? Do you believe you need to get into the Word now? So let's do it. Let's memorize it. You know, a lot of us, when we were like five, memorized Bible verses, and we haven't done it for 20 years. And so let's get back into it again. And I'm excited about this series, and I'm excited right now to get into the Word of God for this morning's study. Grab your message notes, Conversations with Christ is the name of our September series. And 
as we dig into our last one today, let me tell you how these all originated. My daughter Elizabeth studied abroad at Oxford University in England for a year, and I got to go over one fall and visit her. And that same fall, Pastor Tim Keller came over to do a one-week lecture series. And his lecture series, which I saw on posters all over campus, was about different encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I thought, that is so brilliant. One of these days, I'm going to do a series based on that. And this was my opportunity this September. And I just discovered that Tim Keller has released a book based on that lecture series. I put the name of it in the resource section on page two of your notes down at the bottom of that page. So if this series has intrigued you, he goes into a lot more scholarly detail about some of these encounters with Christ in the Gospel of John. And you can check out that book and get more information. But that was the jumping off point for this series. Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to wrap up this series with one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And you could call it the case of Jesus and the grieving sisters. It's in John chapter 11, and it's the famous story of the raising of Lazarus. Now, before we crack open our Bibles to this story, I want to ask, why is this fabulous story even in the Bible. What's the point to this story? What's John want us to get out of this? Well, we don't have to wonder because at the end of his gospel, John says he's writing all of these encounters with Christ's stories for one reason. He says in John 20, verse 31, these are written so that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to circle the phrase, you may believe. Just underline that or circle that in your notes. And then circle the phrase, you may have life. And now draw a line between them with an arrow pointing from believe to life. All right? I want you to do this because I want you to know what you believe can bring you life or bring you death. What you believe can lead you to hope or lead you to despair. What you believe can make you optimistic or can make you cynical. Merely what you believe can get you through the dark times when your senses and your experience and your emotions and your logic and maybe even all your friends are telling you everything is hopeless, but what you believe makes all the difference. And so the question is, what do you believe? Now, before you answer too quickly, When John says believe, he means more than mere mental agreement. He means to think something is really worthy of my trust. To think something's worthy of my trust. And before you flip your notes over, let's define trust. Mark Spurlock, as most of you know, also one of our pastors here, he tells me he used to do a lot of rock climbing. Now, this is not Mark in this picture, But uh, anybody else here ever done any rock climbing? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, a a few of you. How many of you have done rock climbing like at a gym, like Pacific Edge or something? That's more my speed. I've done a little bit of that. Well, if you've ever done this, then you know what it feels like to fall a little bit and have the rope catch you. There's a real confidence knowing that 
I need to climb the face of this thing, and, and I, I, I'm going to do a good job the best I can, but, but when I lose my grip, I trust in the rope. I, I'm absolutely positive that the rope's going to hold me up, that the rope is my security, and that's something like the kind of trust that Jesus wants us to have in him. He's got me. He'll catch me. He's holding me up. He'll, he'll bring me through. I'm, I'm throwing my full weight on him. I trust in him. And you see that kind of trust in this story. So this morning, if you feel like all your hope is gone, your hopes are dead, your confidence feels dashed, you can get through it when you realize that Jesus is calling you to trust him in four ways. Jot this down on page two. Number one, Jesus calls me to trust his timing, to trust his timing. And I think of all the four things Jesus calls us to trust, sometimes this is the most difficult thing to do. So let me tell you the story. As our story opens, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is dying. And the sisters know that Jesus loves him. He's, he's one of Jesus' absolute best friends. And so they send word to Jesus because they'd seen Jesus, Jesus heal people with just a touch. They'd seen Jesus heal people long distance. And so in John chapter 11, verse 3, it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, just to kind of orient yourself geographically, look at this map. Jesus is way up north in Galilee, right? And the sisters are down south in Bethany. That's about two miles from Jerusalem. That's a couple of days' journey away from where Jesus Christ is, all right? So look at what happens next. Look at this verse carefully. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, what, rushed right to answer their plea? Now, rushed to heal him, or, or at least rushed to visit his sick friend who was like in the hospital? No, Jesus loved them. So, what? He stayed where he was two more days. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus loved them, so he didn't do what they were begging him to do. Jesus loved them so much that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't go. Now, is that kind of a mind spinner for you? Because it is for me. But one thing this shows me is that God knows that sometimes delay is better than deliverance. Sometimes delay is better than deliverance. Now watch what happens. After Lazarus dies, Jesus finally decides to go. And when he gets there, now it's a two-day's journey, right? And he stayed where he was for two days. So this is at least four days after they begged him to come down. And he knows that Lazarus is dead by now. And when he shows up, Martha, one of Lazarus's sisters, comes running up, and the first thing out of her mouth, no greeting, no, Jesus, it's good to see you. Come into the house. No, she jumps right to an accusation. And to me, Martha sounds confused, at least, 
but probably a little bit angry. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, we've all said something like this to Jesus at times, haven't we? Uh, Lord, you, you had the power to act, and, and I know you heard my prayer, so what's the deal? And it wasn't just Martha. Like, the whole crowd thought this. It says later on, the people at the funeral said this, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Can you relate to that question? You ever feel like, I do not understand how this is fair, God. Ever look at, at a loved one who is just seemingly just getting body blow after body blow, like the life of Job, and you kind of go, God, you know, this is like not a good PR moment for you. And you scratch your head and go, God, what, what, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man prevented my friend from getting cancer? Prevented my father from dying? And it especially stings when you are just waiting, waiting, waiting for Jesus to show up. Maybe today you keep sending him messages and you're waiting to see if you're going to get the axe in the next round of layoffs. Or you're waiting on some lab tests. Or you're waiting for someone you love to get better. You keep praying about it, but nothing's happening. Or maybe you're just waiting for somebody you love to die. And you know what it feels like sometimes? It feels like you are driving to an urgent appointment. And you're trying to get across town, and you hit a red light, and it never, ever, ever, ever changes. Or like you're dialing Jesus 911 and you can hear the connections made and it's ringing, but it just rings and rings and rings and rings and rings and rings and rings. And God never picks up. And if you've ever felt like that, you know exactly what Martha was feeling like that. Why, why the delay, Jesus? And so how, how do you and I ever get over this? Well, that's really what the story is about. But it starts with the humility to admit, I just don't see all there is to see. I don't know the whole story. In this story, part of what John wants us to see is that Jesus is the only one who knows the whole story. Mary doesn't know it. Martha doesn't know it. Lazarus doesn't know it. The disciples don't know it. Only Jesus knows how it's going to turn out. And that's always the case with your story and my story, too. You know, it's kind of like, imagine that your life is a book that angels are reading 100,000 years from now. And they look at all the trials and travails you're going through, and they know there's a resurrection ahead. They know there's an eternity of living in the new heaven and the new earth in an incredible resurrected body. And they feel like cheering through the pages from 100,000 years ago. Don't despair. It's going to be all right. It's going to be better than you could ever imagine. But in the moment, you don't see the rest of the story. It's, it's kind of like this. I... Uh, saw this online the other day that's called zoomed-in pictures. I don't know if you've seen this. These, these are zoomed-in pictures of everyday objects, and they're amazing. I'm going to give you a little quiz here, too. Uh, let me show you one of these. What do you think this is? 
Well, this is a banana. It's a very, very close-up picture of a banana slice being separated. Isn't that, you can kind of see that, right? Or what about this? What do you think this picture is? Like volcanic rock, pumice or something? No, this is instant coffee. You put this into your body this morning, some of you. Um, or what about, this is the most incredible one. What about this? What do you think this is? Very, very close-up picture of orange juice. Can you believe that? Orange juice. This one is amazing to me, but some of you might be able to figure out what this is. Shout it out if you know. That's right. This is Velcro. Can you see the hooks and the catches there? Isn't that interesting? What about this one? What do you think this is? This is the groove in a vinyl record. Isn't that amazing? Well, the point is, when you are so close to something, listen, when you're so close to something, when you're so zoomed in, you can have an accurate picture of what you're going through. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can have a totally objective, accurate picture of what is happening to you right now. You can totally know the truth about what's going on to you right now, but you still don't see the big picture. And so you can't understand how it all fits in together. And that's what we see here in this story. Jesus is the only one who sees the big picture, so I can trust his timing but really, I can only trust his timing if I believe the second thing, and that's this, I can trust his claims. I can trust his claims. Look at this in verse 23. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, well, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha thinks he's trying to comfort her with some Sunday school lesson. And then Jesus drops the bomb. He says, now, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He, he's not just saying, I have the power to raise Lazarus. He's saying, I am the power to raise Lazarus. And you got to see how Jesus does this sort of thing again and again. He makes these, these outrageous claims. Here's just a few examples just from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 5, people try to stone him to death because he claims to be God. In John 8, they try to do it again when he says, I am. In John 10, they try again. They say, you're claiming to be equal with God when you say, I and the Father are one. In John 20, Thomas calls Jesus my Lord and my God, and Christ accepts that worship. The point is Jesus never claimed just to be a wise religious sage. You know, every other founder of every other major world religion basically said, I am a prophet who has come to show you the way to God or, or to enlightenment. But Jesus said, no, I am God. I'm not going to show you the way. I am the way. For you to get to God. And that's what he's saying here to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And then, to me, it seems like everything stopped. Like probably all the people around them just kind of got still. And it was a little bit of an awkward moment. As he looks at her in the eye and he says, Do you believe this? 
And that's so Jesus, because Jesus always makes it personal. He's always saying things like, who do you say I am? What is that to you? You follow me. You feed my sheep. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now notice, and we're going to get back to this a little bit later, but she, she says, I believe, not I understand. Not I have no more questions. Not I'm not mad at you anymore about my brother dying. But I, I choose to trust you. Listen, believing this won't keep death from knocking at your door, but it makes all the difference when you have to walk through the door. I will never forget a tragic memorial service that I had to officiate at when I was a pastor up at South Tahoe. Um, there'd been a party of some college-age kids, and at one point late in the party, they decided it would be fun to hold the girls by the ankles and swing them out over the balcony. And of course, somebody slipped and uh, a girl plummeted to her death. Tragic, tragic. They didn't know any pastors in town. Somebody knew me, and I got involved in the service, and, and it was at one of the funeral homes there, and I, I preached from John chapter 11, and I talked about how we can prepare for the inevitable, whether it's accidental or through a disease, we're all going to die, and so that we can know who we're walking through death's door with, and that's going to make a big difference. And I finished the service, and afterwards, a young man rushed to the front of the auditorium. Like, literally, everybody had just gotten up to walk out the door. They hadn't even moved a step. And this young man, who was a friend of hers, maybe 22 years old, ran up to the front, and he shouted out at me and said, That's BS! Only he didn't use the initials. And everybody just stopped and looked. And he repeated that shout. He said, because no matter what you believe, we all die and it doesn't make any difference. And then everybody's head swiveled to me like, what's the pastor going to say now? <laughs> and I mean, you know, think of the pain he was going through, right? But I said, you know, I want to invite you to do something right now with me. I said, I have to go get into my car right in the parking lot. And I am driving right now two miles down the road to Barton Memorial Hospital. And there I'm going to visit two people I know who are dying. They won't last through the end of the week. And one is, is, a, is an older man who is the father of my friend Pasquale Penna. And unfortunately, Pasquale's dad never thought about God much in his life. He's never prepared for this moment. And so when you walk into his room, he's gripping the rails of his hospital bed tightly, literally white-knuckling his way into eternity like somebody riding a roller coaster. And he's so panicked that he can't even put together two words articulately in a sentence. You walk in and he just looks at you and, and sounds like this. Ah! Ah! Just, just absolutely panicked. I said, then I'm going to walk about two doors down the hall and I, I'm going to walk into the room of my friend Merle Nagy. And Merle was the owner of the bowling alley there in South Tahoe. And two years before she was diagnosed with cancer, she found Christ at our church. And she fell in love with him. And she loves Jesus so much and knows him so personally that she's actually excited to be getting into the presence of her friend, Jesus, a little sooner than she thought she would. 
And I said, when you walk into her room, it's like it's perfumed with peace. And, and she has such serenity. And she, she just blesses and prays for everybody who visits her to the point where you come to comfort Merle and then you don't want to leave the hospital room of this dying woman because it's such a blessing. And I said, I'm begging you, give me 60 minutes and come with me for the next hour to the hospital and visit these two people. And if when we leave you still think it doesn't make a difference what you believe, then I will take back everything I just said. And then everybody swiveled and looked at him. What's he going to say? <laughs> and he looked at me and dismissively waved his hand. And he said, no, no, I won't go. And he marched down the aisle. And you could hear his tires peeling out as he left. I hope he thought a little bit more about what I said. I never saw him again. But what about you? Do you know what a difference it makes, what you believe. Do you trust his timing? Do you trust his claims? And then a really important thing to trust is to really trust his heart, to trust the heart of Jesus Christ. Watch what happens next. This is really fascinating. It says, now Mary, the other sister, runs up to Jesus, and guess what she says? Verse 32, watch this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, does this look familiar? Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same exact question as Martha. Totally different response. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, I want you to just look at that verse just for a minute. Just look at those two words. Does that not make you love Jesus more and more? To think that God came down to earth and he, he, he wept and he, he's not... He's not weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping for Mary, and he's weeping with Mary. Jesus wept. He did not look at Mary and say, come on, buck up. You know, come on, get over it. Come on, there's no crying in Christianity, you know. And this is so important to see because somehow we can get the idea sometimes that good Christians don't cry, right, because we've got hope. We don't grieve. No, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but they're still grieving and mourning involved, right? I've experienced this, and so did Jesus. In fact, let me just talk to the guys here, because guys, we in our culture can still get the idea that the good men have to be steely, and we can get the funniest ideas about what it means to be a real man. In fact, I saw this, this week I saw a website somebody sent me a link to. It's called Chuck Norris Facts. Have you seen this? <laughs> and these are all jokes about Chuck Norris, and they they sort of show you our culture's idea of the ideal man. Here's just a few of them. If at first you don't succeed, you're not Chuck Norris. <laughs> Chuck Norris destroyed the periodic table because he only recognizes the element of surprise. <laughs> Chuck Norris was an only child, eventually. <laughs> Chuck Norris can blow bubbles with beef jerky. I love that. That's my favorite one, I think. 
Chuck Norris once kicked a horse in the chin. Its descendants are known today as giraffes. <laughs> One more. Chuck Norris only uses a stunt double during crying scenes. It's so easy to get the idea. Real men don't cry. But Jesus wept. The ultimate man. And this shows me it's okay to cry. It shows me that when I do cry, I got the biggest shoulders in the universe to lean on, Jesus' shoulders. And another thing it shows me about his heart, you know, when people are in despair, they need one of two things, what somebody called the ministry of truth or the ministry of tears, right? Martha needed the ministry of truth because her despair was rooted in uh, lies and, and forgetting her hope. And so Jesus had to kind of grab her by the shoulders and say, I am here and I am the resurrection. I am the life. She needed the ministry of truth, and sometimes we need that. But Mary needed the ministry of tears. And so Jesus doesn't even say a word to her. He just weeps with her. Now, the art is knowing when, who needs what, right? But Jesus knows, and this is one of the things I love about Christ, that shows me he's the Son of God because he's such a wonderful counselor. And then watch what happens next in John 11. Talk about showing his heart. Almost nobody ever talks about this next verse, and I don't know why. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And I want you to look at those words, deeply moved. Tim Keller says no English translation really gets this phrase right because it contains a Greek word that means to bellow with anger. And somehow no... English translator feels like they've got the license to actually translate this accurately. But Jesus is absolutely furious now. Bellowing with rage. In, in Greek, the word is related to when a horse snorts in anger. And this is Jesus acting like this. We never see him really displayed this way ever. Anybody ever see that movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told? Can I see a show? Anybody ever? Do you remember this? Just kind of a, a memory tickler. It starred Max von Sydow, and he was this famous Swedish actor, and this is how he looks through the whole movie. His expression never changes. Just these liquid blue eyes and, and no smile or anger. It's like Jesus on Prozac through the whole movie. <laughs> And in this scene, he looks at Martha and he delivers the line like this, your brother will rise again. No passion, no energy. Contrast that with the image of Jesus as a rearing, snorting horse full of passion. Here he's roaring. He's approaching the tomb. No! He's raging against what? You know what I think? He's raging against death. Because it was never meant to be this way. Because God didn't create a world full of cancer and sorrow and Alzheimer's and sickness and death. God didn't make that world. And Jesus knows the only way to fix that world, the only way to, for him to bring Lazarus out of the grave is to put himself in the grave. To drink a cup that he would rather not drink. 
And I think that's why he's roaring and shaking with anger, with tears streaming down his cheeks because his beloved creation has been broken by sin and he's going to have to die to destroy it. And man, that shows me a lot about his heart (laughs) and why I love my Savior. And when I trust his heart, that's when finally I can trust his power. His power. Look, here it all wraps up. Jesus finally arrives at the tomb. And no, for Martha's protest, and I think it's kind of funny that Martha, the, the obsessive cleaner, you know, uh, is going, Jesus, you can't open the tomb. It smells by now, and it's disgusting. And, but over her protest that the grave smells, despite all the grief and confusion and all the friends and followers, verse 41 says, Jesus looked up after they took away the stone and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And now they finally understood why he waited. You ever have one of the, oh, that's why, forehead-slapping moments in your life? Like maybe you prayed and prayed and waited, waited for something. You didn't get the answer you wanted about a job or about a relationship or something. And then years maybe later you go, oh, that's why. Anybody ever have one of those, oh, that's why moments in your life? You know what? The Bible says one day you'll have an, oh, that's why moment about everything. What's the, oh, that's why moment here? Well, one commentator I read mentioned that in those days, they believed that for three days the soul hovered around the body waiting to re-enter. And so if Jesus had come earlier, people probably would have argued that he didn't even perform a miracle, just a resuscitation. And that's why they had to wait. As my friend Ray Johnston says, Jesus knows resurrections work best in graveyards. Resurrections work best in graveyards. God's plan sometimes is to do something far beyond what we can possibly envision. Yeah, he could have come earlier and saved Mary and Martha a lot of pain, absolutely. He could have prevented a funeral. He could have healed Lazarus. But then they would not have realized He's the Lord of life. You know what? We, we in our perspective, our, our hope is we always want to see Jesus as healer. And I believe he's still the healer. But sometimes Jesus wants to be seen as more than a healer. He wants to be seen as the resurrector. And resurrections only work in graveyards. So listen, maybe you've been waiting for a long time for situations to change in your life. And the delay has been going on forever. You've dialed Jesus 911 a thousand times and it feels like nobody's ever picked up. Mary and Martha knew all about that. They knew what it was like to watch their brother weaken and fail and they couldn't do anything to stop it and then the Lord didn't show up and then when he did show up, it was too late. Only it wasn't too late. Do you remember that verse? Jesus loved them, so he stayed where he was. Because sometimes what he has in mind is something so far 
beyond our thoughts and our dreams and our hopes and experience that we don't even know we can ask for it. And he delivers it right on time. So don't despair if you've run into something that you haven't planned for. Don't quit because something didn't turn out the way you'd hoped. Don't throw in the towel because now you're faced with something that you didn't think would happen or should happen or even could happen. Because Jesus says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Can you say with Martha, yes, Lord, I believe. Not I understand. Not, I have no more questions now, but I believe, I trust you. That's the big question. Do I trust him? You know, some of us have trust issues, but trust issues are rooted in the fact that people in our lives have broken our hearts. Jesus is not one of those people. Can you place your full trust in him? What you believe makes all the difference. We started with a Sherwood Carthen video. Sherwood died, as I said, just a year ago. I really miss him. And I've lost a few other friends in that year. Roger Williams from Mount Hermon two weeks ago. But you know what? I know that I will see Sherwood again. I know I will see Roger and my other loved ones who've passed on again. You know how I know? Because I trust Jesus, I want to show you uh, one clip. It's an audio clip from a sermon that Sherwood preached on John 11. Listen to this about the hope that we have in Christ. Most of us in this room have someone who's passed on. And when they died as a believer, you've got to realize that you will see them again. If Christ comes while we yet live, they'll meet him first. If we die, we'll meet him first. But you got to understand something. He's the God of resurrection. And until the day you die, if there's something in your life that needs to be brought back to life, he's the God that's going to do it. You're not going to do it with strategy and tactics. You're not going to do it with just great thinking, positive energy. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen because you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Would you close your eyes with me? With our heads bowed, let me just ask you, is there some area where you're having a hard time trusting Jesus? Where you're maybe saying, Lord, why the delay? I want to give you a chance, just a moment right now, just to let this kind of Simmer a little bit. Give you a chance to hear him say to you, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And can you say to him, yes, Lord, I trust you. Right now, uh, we're going to send things over to the venue service. For those who are watching in venue, Lily Jones is going to play here in the auditorium. Trent Smith is going to play just a verse or two from a familiar song, so that just to give you a chance to meditate on this and to do some business with Jesus and, and say to him, Lord, I trust you. Or maybe you want to say, Lord, I want to get there, 
but I'm not there yet. I believe, help my unbelief. Spend some time talking with the Lord right now. you've shown yourself faithful. Help us to trust you more and more each day. Some for the first time now are saying, I don't understand it all, but what I see in Jesus, that I like. And so I choose to place my trust in him now. In Jesus' name, amen.